cool. Well, we are so glad you guys are here today. And we are starting a brand new series today called The Day After Christmas. Now, I don't know about you, but there, there are two types of people in this world. There are people who have had their Christmas tree up since Halloween, okay? And then there are people like me who just put it out this week, and it's still not finished. Uh, but then there will be other people that once Christmas is over, the day after Christmas, that tree will be put away. There are others of you, like the All Reds, who will keep their Christmas tree up till Easter. Okay? So there's a lot of different debates about this. There's a lot of different people. But let me explain my rationale. I'm not a Scrooge, as my staff calls me often. Okay? I am not a Scrooge. But I just, I, I am the type of person, uh, Ashley tried to tell me what Enneagram this was, it was this week. I don't want to hear it, okay? I'm just the type of person who likes to move on, okay? Once it's complete, once it's done, let's pack it up. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back to our routine. Let's get back to our schedule. That's just the type of person I am, you know? So it's like I have to think about things systematically. Once Thanksgiving was over, then I could think about Christmas, right? But, you know, then, then once Christmas is over, I'm done. So the 26th, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm tired. Christmas decorations are going away. And I just want to get back to normal and think about, you know, New Year's in 2023 and, you know, everything that comes with that. But during the Christmas season, it's, it was exactly like that during the very first Christmas as well. Because during the very first Christmas, it, the world was chaos. It was complete chaos. And that chaos, everybody was in the midst of it, and everybody was ready for the chaos to end, and for the day after Christmas, for things to just go back to the way they were, to get back to normal, to get back in their groove, but what they had no idea was is that things would never be the same again. Luke tells us about it. Luke was kind of a historian. He was a doctor. He sat down and interviewed all these different people, and so in the Gospel of Luke, this is what it tells us. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and you have to understand, the Roman Empire was Huge. I mean, they were the thing. They were the superpower of the world. And so the Roman world was huge. It was, you know, the entire Eastern nation. And so they decided, they, they were trying to be kind of, you know, modernized. And this is pretty interesting as far as history goes because, you know, they didn't have technology back then. But what they were trying to figure out is how to tax people. How much should they tax people? Who was alive? Who should they tax? And so they had to think up of some kind of way to do this. And so what they did was they sent an order out that every male in his family had to return home to their, their hometown to, be, to report back to the government that, number one, they were still alive, but if they were married, if they had kids, so that they could create a tax bracket and figure out how it is that they should tax people. So this was a very chaotic time. I mean, you've got to think about the chaos that this, you know, happened on the world because all of a sudden everybody had to travel. I mean, imagine in this room if we had a census today and you had to travel back to where you were born. I mean, me and my family, we would be going to Kansas City. Some of you, oh my goodness, some of you would be going back to Canada, you know? I mean, you'd be having to go to all kinds of places to be able to report back and to tell them who you were and that you were alive, all for the purposes of them taxing you. But this was a really big deal because number one, travel in those days was expensive. I mean, you had to rent transportation if you didn't have any. And there was no travelvelocity.com back then, you know. And then you also you not only had to travel, but you had to figure out a place to stay. And guess what? There was no Airbnb back then either. And so they're traveling, days worth of travel. 
They're having to try to figure out where they're going to stay and what they're going to do. Many people were camping out. But along with that, was, it was a dangerous journey as well. I mean, not just sickness and, and weather and all of these different things. But I mean, think about it. I mean, there are some bad people in this world even today that if they knew that thousands of people would be traveling along you know highway 70 and that they may be vulnerable and that maybe we could take advantage of them don't you think that there would be some people who would be maybe be hiding out or waiting to rob you or murder you or you know take your camel or whatever it may be and so these are all things that they had to worry about they had to travel a long distance, and it wasn't cheap, and it was going to be dangerous. It was going to be treacherous. And so there was so much chaos during this time. And so people were anxious, and people were nervous. But then it, it, tells, us, it tells us that the next thing that happened was that the world would change. It, is that all of a sudden that there was going to be something that would not let, allow people to go back to their normal lives. They had no idea that in the middle of the chaos, something was about to change at all. And that was the birth of Jesus. Now, I love the way that John tells us about this. John, if you don't know anything about John, John wrote his gospel way, way later, probably at the end of his life. All the, many of the other gospels, all the other tellings had already been told, and John was probably aware of some of them, if, if not at least one of them. And so when he writes his gospel, he's like, okay, Matthew told the birth narrative, Luke told all the details. Let me see, I've got to think of you know, the way I would put this. And the way that he puts it is so beautiful, so elegant. This is what John says. John, he says this, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, God in human form, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In a time, in culture, in a time with history where people just thought this is just a chaotic season, this is just a chaotic season, a, a census, and the day after it's fine, we'll get it done and we'll go back to normal. In the midst of that chaos, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But, but what's so interesting about this story, the thing that we have to understand, the thing that we have to focus on, is that when, when the word became flesh, when Jesus was born, it wasn't just another influencer. It wasn't just another teacher. It wasn't just another prophet. It wasn't just another guy. What had happened when the word became flesh, what happened was a king, a king had been secreted to the world. And this is what we sometimes forget when it comes to Christmas. Because many times around Christmas, we see baby in a manger. We see little cute baby Jesus. You know, we think, oh, cute little baby Jesus, six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. You know, and we think about the baby and we think about the Savior. You know, oh, the Savior's come. And we think about the Christmas songs that really focus on, you know, the baby being born and all of this stuff. But the thing that, that we've forgotten over time, the thing, that, the thing that culture has done to Jesus, but most of all, the thing that the church the church has done to Jesus is we've watered it down to the point where Jesus is not a king. Well, we watered it down or we've reduced Jesus to, to something else. And, and maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe from your religious experience, this is, this is kind of what was taught to you about Jesus. Or maybe just over time, just how, how you've even treated Jesus. It's very easy in, in our culture to reduce Jesus down to, well, a phone a friend, you know, just, you know, that, 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 that I'm in a jam, I need, I need a friend, I need a savior, I need a forgiver, to reduce Jesus down to that, that phone a friend, or, or maybe even the backup plan, you know? 
that I'm going to live my life, but man, when I get in a lurch, I've always got that backup plan. I've always got Jesus. I know how Jesus works. I'm smart enough to figure this out. That, you know, he, he's full of endless second chances, and so I'll just kind of treat Jesus kind of like as my, my backup plan or, or even my conscience reliever. Jesus is there for when I feel bad. Jesus is there for when I just need to, you know, I just need a little pick-me-up or, or even my comforter or my spare tire. It's very easy, easy just for us to reduce Jesus down to these things. But the thing is that we have to understand is that Jesus is a king. Jesus is the king. And that did not get lost on the people who were there for the very first Christmas. It did not get lost on Herod. It did not get lost on the Magi. It did not get lost on the shepherds. And it most certainly did not get lost on Mary and Joseph. Because when the angel came to Mary and told of Jesus' birth, they were very, he was very, very specific about who Jesus is and who Jesus would be. Again, Luke, he sat down with Mary. So this is basically straight from the mouth of Mary of what happened. It says this, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now that name Jesus, you may not know what that means. That name Jesus is a English version of a Latin word derived from a Greek word derived from a Hebrew word that means Yeshua or Joshua. And that name Joshua means warrior, king. So even in his, in, in his name, when they, when they heard that name, when the angel came and said, you will call him Yeshua, which we call Jesus today. They knew exactly what that would mean. They're like, oh, Joshua, oh, king, oh, mighty one. Oh, you mean warrior. That, that is what his name will mean. And that right there tells us so much about who Jesus was and who Jesus would be. And then the angel goes on, and, and, and this is what it said next. And he will be great, and he will be called son of the most high. Again, this, this was language of royalty. He's going to be great, and he's going to be the son of God. He, he's going to be God in human form in front of you. And then the angel says this. And then the angel says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then what the angel says next is so important. Something that sometimes we glance over, sometimes something that we forget. It's, he says this at the end. He goes, and his kingdom will never end. See, here's the thing. When the angel came to Mary and announced the birth of Jesus... What the angel was making very clear to Mary, he said, Mary, I want you to understand, this is not the birth of a king. This is the birth of the king. And when I say the king, I mean the final king. I mean that after this, he will take his throne and he will reign forever. And there will never be another king. There will never be another authority. This will be it for the existence of, of this planet and of this universe and of this humankind. This will be it and he will reign. Here's what we have to understand, is that Jesus is still king. Jesus is still king. Even though he died, even though they tried to kill him, and even though after that he ascended into heaven, he is still 
king. He is still reigning today. And whatever his plans may be, we don't understand them. We don't fully comprehend them. We don't understand. But he's told us that he is coming back and that he, is, he has not lost his seat on the throne and that he will come and he will make it very clear one day that this is his kingdom and that he is king that there is nobody who reigns against him. So the question that you and I have to wrestle with every single day is this. Is Jesus my king? Is Jesus my king? Because the thing is that for a lot of us, it's very easy to reduce Jesus down to that conscience cleanser, that backup plan, that phone a friend. It's very easy to just reduce Jesus down uh, to, to just another influencer or a good teacher or a prophet or I like what that guy says. Or to reduce Jesus down to just an icon. To reduce Jesus just down to a, ta- a tattoo. Something that inspires me. But the thing is, is that he's so much more than that. He is a king. And he is a king unlike any other king we've ever had and other, any other king we will ever have. He's a king that allows us to decide. This is amazing. This, nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever tried this. This is what's so unique and interesting and different about Jesus is that Jesus is the type of king that doesn't come and flex his authority on us and make us bend the knee before him. No, that's what other kings have done. That's what other authorities have done. That's what other dictators have done. But instead, he is the king that allows us to decide. He is the king that came in human form. And then when it was time for something to be done for us, he decided to pay our debt. He is the king that decided to die for us. He is the king that did not come and and make people serve him. Instead, he, he came to be served. He's a king that came in this this humble position and ended up washing feet and baptizing people and and, then laying his life down for others. And he's a king that allows you to decide whether or not you want to accept him as king and be part of his kingdom. Isn't that incredible? No one's ever done that before. He's also a king. He's a king who rarely ever intrudes. He, he, he is this king who, who, who does not force his will on you. Oh, he could. And man, oh, the world would be such a better place if he did. It would be so much safer. It would be so much better. But, but he's not that kind of king. He's this king who rarely ever intrudes. Instead, he may ding your conscience. He may speak to you. But he's not, he, he really lets you make the decisions. Because he, he, he's more worried about having a relationship with you. And understanding who he is, not the throne that he sits on, more than anything else. I mean, isn't that unique and isn't that different than anything you've ever thought of God or anything you've ever seen of any other authority or or, or deity or anything else that you've ever heard of? That's the kind of king that he is. But the thing is, is that because we're selfish people... Because we think we're, we figured it out. Because we're just like Adam and Eve. We think we can, you know, manipulate the system. A lot of us, we figured out. Well, see, that's, that's why I, I, I got a gotcha on Jesus. It's because I know that he's always going to let me make my choices. And I know he's not going to intrude on my life. And I know he's grace and hope and peace and love. And so the thing is, is that I can kind of just do whatever I want. I can, I can still kind of 
create my own kingdom and rule my own kingdom and do what I want. And at the end of it, he can be my backup plan. He can be my conscience cleanser. He can be my spare tire. He can be my comforter. And I can always ask for forgiveness. And I'll still get all the perks. And I'll still be able to do what I want to do. And I'll still really just get to still be king of my own life. But the thing that we don't understand is, although he lets us, gives us the freedom to choose and he's not an intruder on our life, the thing is, is that when we opt out of participating in, in his kingdom, we end up missing out on everything he wants to do for us. When we opt out, we miss out. And it's so easy to opt out, especially in our culture today. We can opt out of submitting ourselves underneath the kingship of God in participating in his kingdom. And here's the amazing thing. We can still call ourselves Christian. But the thing, and you can still, you can still do all the things and participate in all the things and look very much like a, a, a member of his kingdom. But the thing is, is that when we opt out, when we, we miss out. When we don't submit ourselves underneath the kingship of God, when we don't participate in his kingdom, what happens is we miss out on what he's truly trying to do in our world and in our life. Well, what happens is is we we call ourselves Christian and we can be Christian in, in the modern sense of the world, but we're not anywhere close to the original sense of the world. When we still keep the king, kingship on us and don't submit ourselves to his kingdom and what his, his kingdom says and what his kingdom says we should participate in, what happens is, is we'll pray our prayers to an invisible God, but we'll never understand that connection to Abba Father. We'll never truly be able to wrap our minds around how much he loves us and how much he, he cares for us and how much of a relationship he wants to have for us. We, we, we can still call ourselves Christian and we can still do all the things, but there's always going to be this con- disconnect because when we opt out, we miss out. You, we can call ourselves, again, Christian in the general sense of the word and we can do all the Christian things, but when we sing those worship songs, we'll be more focused on how the music sounds and if the song fits us rather than what it really means to worship the king of kings. And we'll never understand what true worship is. We'll never understand that, that, that thing that people have when they worship, when they're able to just, no matter how the music sounds or what the lyrics exactly are, be able to pour themselves out and lay their life down to this invisible king that they cannot see. Why? Because when we opt out, we miss out. To, to get the real deal, to truly understand why in the world these people go to church and serve and lay their lives down and give their, sacrifice their life financially, sacrifice their time. Why in the world people do that? You have to submit yourself to the kingship of God. You have to participate in his kingdom. On that first Christmas, during that time, a king king had been secreted to the world and it probably would have been kept a secret it probably would have continued to be a secret for another 30 years had not there been some very confused magi who came looking for jesus we get the story in matthew matthew tells us exactly what happened says after jesus was born in bethlehem in judea during the time of king herod now herod who is herod you may have heard his nickname herod the great he was a very good king. He was a very popular king. He, he was a cruel king, 
because he protected the legacy of his kingdom so well. Herod was an architect in, in many ways and, and made sure that people, he was, he was a strong political figure and he wanted to ensure that his kingdom was going to last for a very long time. But he didn't want to just see his kingdom last during his time. He wanted his kingdom to, to go on and be passed on to his children. He was thinking of his lineage. He was thinking of his family. And so he wanted there to be a, a, a Herod or a mini Herod always sitting in the throne. And so he, he did a lot of things to protect that legacy. And, and then, it, all of a sudden, what happened is somebody showed up. Matthew tells us this in the, the same verse. It goes on. It says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, l- let me, you know, I always have to do this because, you know, the church did so many weird things for so many, uh, such a long time. You know, we, we always sing about all three kings, you know, and we think about these little three kings who came looking for Jesus and they're following a little star that looks like these lights up here, you know what I mean? And they were just going around with their frankincense, incense, and, you know, myrrh and all that stuff. And that's, you know, even some of you guys, you've got little nativities, right? It's got little three kings and everything like that. But here's the thing, it doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere. Something that, you know, grandma taught us and, you know, we just continued to buy into and did. But it doesn't say there were three of them. There could have been 30 of them for all we know. And guess what? They weren't kings. They were magi. Who were magi? Magi, they came from the east. They probably came from Assyria or Persia. But magi were the scientists, really. What they did was they studied the planet and they studied the stars. And then they would compare it to ancient texts. And they would try to find a correlation between what was happening in the planet and what was happening in ancient texts. Not just the Hebrew texts, but many different texts. And so all of a sudden, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, mind you, something in the the universe changed. This is incredible. This is, this is cool. When you look at people who study the stars and the planet and think they're whack, I don't think so at all. Because this is exactly what the match I did. And when Jesus was born, something in this universe changed. The stars, the creation literally moved. And they were able to take that and they said, okay, wait, isn't there something about this in, 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 the, in the Hebrew text, in this, Jesus, in this Jewish text? And so they look back at the Old Testament, and they look at the prophecies of Jesus, and, and they made this connection. And they said, oh my goodness, I think that these prophecies have come true, and, and that the Jewish king that has been prophesied about has been born. So do you know what they did? They heard, they, they made this connection that a Jewish king had been born, so what did they do? They didn't go to Bethlehem. If they were following a star led by God, it would have led them to Bethlehem. But instead, where did they go? Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the king resided. And they were looking for a king. So all of a sudden, they show up in Jerusalem, and they come into town, and they go, we're looking for this king. We're looking for your king. And what do they find? Nothing. Nobody's talking about it. There's no celebration. There's no baby. And so the text, it tells us this. Matthew says, and they went around and they started asking people, hey, where's the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. They showed up in the wrong place. And they go to the capital and they said, we saw something in the sky. We saw the stars do this and the universe changed and we connected it to your text. And we're, hey, where's your king at? And the people are going, what are you talking about? Herod's our king. No, 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 no. There's a new king. There's a Jewish king. The Jewish king that had been prophesied about. Where, where is he? And they said they had no clue what they were talking about. And so there was enough commotion, which is why I believe there are probably more than three magi. There was enough of a commotion that it got back to the capital. 
So word gets back to Herod, and at this point, everybody's very confused, and everybody is very disturbed. In Matthew, he tells us what happens next. It says, when King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. This disturbed Herod. Now, think about this for a minute. Why would Herod be disturbed? Why would Herod be disturbed? I mean, if Jesus was just a, an influencer, well, pff, influencers get come and go. If Jesus was just another prophet or just another teacher, again, prophets come, prophets go. Teachers, they don't change anything. I mean, people like them or they dislike them, whatever it may be. But Herod was concerned for some reason. And the reason that Herod was concerned is because he knew when he heard that the prophecy may have been fulfilled, that it was much more than just a savior. It was much more than just a teacher. It was much more than just an influencer that had been born. Matthew, he goes on and he says this is what happened. When he had, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where. So Herod, he wants to know where this Jesus is and he's calls everyone together, and they don't even know that his name is Jesus yet. They don't know anything. They just know that this prophecy has supposedly been fulfilled. So he calls together all the smartest people he can find, and he pulls them together in a room, and then he asks them a question, and this question, it is so important. It is so important because it hints at who Jesus is. And even Herod, even Herod, even Herod admits something about Jesus to the world. And this is what he says. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He doesn't say, tell me where the teacher is. Tell me where the influencer is. Tell me where the prophet is. He says, where is the Messiah? Which in Hebrew means this, means anointed one. In the Greek, in the Greek that it was recorded in, what what Herod said is he said, tell me where the Christos is. Tell me where is the Christ. That Greek word Christos is where we get that word Christ. See, many of you, and it's okay. It's, if, you, if you thought this or if you said this once, it's, it's all right. But many of you have probably told somebody, you know, Jesus Christ, first name Jesus, last name Christ, right? No, I'm sorry. You screwed that one up really bad, okay? Christ is not his last name. Actually, Christ is not a part of his name at all. Do you know what the word Christ is? It is a title. It is a title. When Herod says, tell me where the Messiah is, he's not saying a name because they don't know his name. He's saying, will you tell me where is the anointed one? Where is the Christ? Where is the final king at? Because even Herod admitted that what had been born, what had come to this earth, it was not an influencer, it was not a teacher, it was not a prophet. It was a king, but not just a king, but the final king. And so when we say that name, Jesus Christ, the, the whole reason they named him Jesus was because the angel told them to, but it meant something. That word Jesus, that name Yeshua meant king. And that title that was given to him, that title that was passed down from the prophecies, it meant the final king. It meant the anointed one. So you've got to understand, number one, when we take that word, that when we take that name in vain, it's why it means so much. It's why we should be so careful. 
But also, too, when we take up that name Christian, we are not just picking up Jesus' last name. I mean, why in the world are we not called Jesusians or something like that, right? Why are we not called Jewishians or something like that? We're not called that. We're called Christians. Why? Because we are, we are connected to that anointing. We are connected to that kingship. We are not followers of just a teacher. We are not followers of just an influencer. We are followers of a king. And when we pick up that name Christians, it means we are participating in his kingdom. We are not just following somebody who's cool. We are not just following a man who baptized some people and died for some people. There have been plenty of people who have done that. We are following a king who was anointed and chosen and sent for us. And when we take up that name, we are choosing to participate in his kingdom and submit to who he is and let him be king of our lives. See, there's something that they got right back then that we get so wrong, and it's this. We've allowed the person to define the term rather than allowing the term to define the person. Because today... We, we are so bold that we have decided what Christian looks like. We have made the decision, well, this is what I think it means to be Christian. This is what I think is okay to do as a Christian. And when it, we use the word Christian, this is what I think and this is what I believe. And I don't think I have to do these things and blah, 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 blah. blah. No, 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 no. We don't take the term and make our own definition. No, we let... We let the term define the person. And the term Jesus Christ, well, Jesus Christ means Jesus King is what it means. And for me to call myself a Christian, the original version, the original definition, it means I have chosen to submit myself to the King. So let me ask you a question. Have you chosen to follow the King? Now, again, church world's done a lot of stuff with this, right? I mean, you know, and we, we do things a little different here at Anchored Hope. It's very, not so often that I'll, I'll do, you know, hey, if you don't want to accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I grew up around that, you know. But the thing is, is that a lot of times when we talk about following the king or making the decision to follow the king. That's what we mean. Well, I, I raised my hand this one time, or I chose to get baptized this one time, or I took this class this one time, or I trust, I made this decision to follow Jesus with all my heart, you know, this, this, things like that. But the thing we got to really understand, the, the weight of this, if you've chosen to follow the king, you're not just saying, I believe in something. It means I've chosen to follow something. I've not just chosen to believe something is true. I've chosen to submit myself. I've chosen to participate in the kingdom of God. I'm claiming myself as a resident of this kingdom, and he's my king. And here's the thing. We get this confused a lot and don't understand how to really break this down, but I think I've come up with a question this week, staring at the lava lamp long enough to, 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 to figure out a question that may help you understand if you have really chosen to follow the king. And the, and the question is this, have you laid down something that you want to pick up? 
Have you, what have you laid down that you want to pick up? Now here's what I mean by that. There has not been an authority anywhere in existence that we have agreed upon 100%. Yeah? Right? There's not been anybody. They, I mean, you've, you've, liked some real, you've liked some very powerful people. There have been some good presidents. There have been some good authorities. There have been some good leaders. There have been some good kings. But there's been nobody that you've been like 100% everything they say, I am fully on board with. That doesn't exist, right? Because we're human. And there's some things we go, eh, I mean, I love like 90% of what he says. But there's some stuff he says that I'm like, eh, I'm not really on board. You know, like how you guys treat me, right? So anyway... But you know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus, as good of a king as he is, said some things that were pretty ridiculous. I mean, there was one guy that thought he had it all figured out. He was like the best church attender in the world. And he came to Jesus and he was like, Jesus, I've done it all. I have followed the Old Testament down to a T. I've done it all. You, you tell me what else I could do. And Jesus goes, go sell all your possessions. Go sell everything. And guess what the guy did? He put his head down, he was sad, and he walked away because he couldn't do it. Peter walked up to Jesus one time. He's like, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive people? Like a few? And Jesus goes, oh my goodness. No, no, no. A lot more than that. I'm talking about endless forgiveness. That's, that's my brand of forgiveness. And what did Peter do? He got sad. I mean, come on. There are some things that Jesus said that were just nuts, like love your enemy. Somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. You know, I mean, all of this stuff. I mean, there's got to be some things that Jesus said that you're like, I don't like that. Well, let me ask you something. In your decision to be a Christian, in your decision to submit to the king and say that you are a citizen and a participate in his kingdom, what have you laid down that you want to pick up? Because to truly follow a king, for, to truly make somebody an authority over your life, there has to be something that you've laid down, not because you agree with it, not because you're okay with it, but because you just do it because it's what the king asked you to do. So what's that thing in your life that you've laid down that you want to pick up? I'll give you mine, okay? About to be 2023 here pretty soon. Crystal will print out giving statements, you know, for everybody in the church who's participated in a giving plan and given to the church for tax purposes and stuff. And so, you know, I'll get that giving statement here in about a month and I will look at the number, the, the amount of money I have given to this church and I'll be fully honest and transparent with you. I go, crap, that's a lot of money. You know, and inside I'm like, geez, man, like, does anybody else like work at a job where they just take part of their paycheck and give it back to the company and go here? I think you guys could use some of the, some of this. Go ahead and hand it back over, you know, because I mean, we, we, we give about 10 to 15 percent of our income to the church. And so I'll look at that number at the end of the year and I'll go, OK, so that's how I could get to Disney. All right. OK. You know, I mean, I'm looking at that that money and I'm going, that's that's a new car. OK, I mean, like I could buy a new car a year. This is how our friends are getting to do all this fun stuff. And we can't afford it because, Kate, we're giving our money. You know, and my wife, she she writes the checks. And so I'll, I'll go to Kate. And I'm like, hey, uh, are you good with math? Like, are you sure that this is accurate? Are you writing? Are you, are you adding some zeros to this or like, what's the deal? Because maybe we need to like back it off just a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't like to give. I don't like to be generous. I don't. I think as a pastor, maybe for some reason, I'm trying to find a Bible verse where I could be like exempt from it or something, you know? <laughs> but I do it 
Do it every single week. Do it when I'm not here. Do it on a regular basis every single week. Do you know why? Not because I agree with this, because that's what the king requires of me. Because that's what the king asked all of the Christians, all of the people who claim to be citizens of his kingdom. It's what he asked them to do. I'll give you another one, okay? I'll, and again, don't, you know, I'll, we got to be real careful. Ashley's going to get some emails, okay? I mean, don't tell anybody I said this, all right? I hate doing weddings, which some of you, I did your wedding. I'm not talking about you, okay? Um, okay, I kind of am. Anyway, let me explain myself, all right? I hate doing weddings. Like, if there was one thing as a pastor, like, I do not want to ever do, it's weddings. I hate doing weddings. I, even this last year, I, I, and, and my staff will tell you, I made, a, I made a claim in staff meeting. I said in spring, I said, I'm never doing another wedding again. I'm done. Because here's the thing, I'll just be fully transparent with you. There's a lot of people that call me and want me to do their wedding. And I do all this work, and I do all this premarital counseling, and they even come to church for a little bit. They'll come like, we love your church. It's so great. We'll be here after we get married. And then wedding day comes, I marry them, and I never see them again. It's like an abusive relationship. It's like, it's like these people tell me they're going to come to church, and they love me, and they love our church, and then I do the deed, and I never see them ever again. And I feel completely taken advantage of. So I told my staff, I told you, Ashley can tell you, I said, I'm not doing another wedding again. I'll give them all the Pastor Carrie. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them all the Pastor Carrie. I'm going to write them off. And then Ashley's sister asked me to do their wedding. Oh, shoot, you know, and Ashley knew. I said, I'm not going to do another wedding. And God told me, God said, you need to do that wedding. I said, shoot, all right, I'm going to do this one. And then I said, I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. I even, you tell them, I told the staff, I said, I'm not going to do another wedding unless it's Camden and Mary, unless they ask me. I'll do Camden and Mary, but I won't do anybody else. Not to pressure you two or anything like that, okay? But I said, that'll be the last one I do. That's the only one I do because I love Camden. That's it. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden I had somebody else ask me. And God was like, I want you to do this wedding. I said, Jesus, you better stop this, right? Then I had Matt and Alyssa. Matt and Alyssa asked me to do their wedding. And I love Matt and Alyssa. And I went to God and I said, God, stop it. I don't like doing weddings. I love Matt and Alyssa though. Okay, I'm going to do this one. I'll do that. And then a couple weeks ago, CJ's sister DM'd me. And was like, could you do our wedding? And I was like, Jesus Christ, King, I love you. Stop it. I don't want to do any more weddings. I don't like doing weddings. But you know what? I'll admit something to you online, on stage, pre-recorded, so everybody can hear it. I've said 10 times this year, I'm not doing any more weddings. I'm probably going to keep doing weddings. You know why? Because it's what the king wants me to do. I don't like it, but it's what the king wants me to do. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it all in my system now. I'll show up in my suit. The one time I got to wear a suit as a pastor now in 2022 is at your wedding. I don't even got to wear them at funerals anymore. All these people who die in Troy want me to show up in plaid. And I show up in plaid and I love it. (laughs) But I got to go to your wedding and put on my monkey suit and pray to God it still fits. (laughs) Every year I put that suit on, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm like, God, if you want me to bust out of this suit, stop letting me do weddings. But I keep doing weddings. I'll tell you another one. We were traveling for Thanksgiving. We were traveling for Thanksgiving. And I mean, I, I, God gave me the spiritual gift of finding all the stupid people in the world. And so we're driving. 
And I'm finding them all. They're all in Oklahoma. They don't know how to drive on that turnpike. They don't know anything. And so I'm driving and I'm finding all the stupid people. And I know they can't hear me, but I'm talking to them like they can hear me. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I'm trying to do Morse code to let them know you are an idiot, you know? And then all of a sudden we're driving in Oklahoma and my eight-year-old daughter jumps out of her seat, literally unclicks her seatbelt, pulls her head through the seats and goes, hey, pastor man, why don't you love people the way Jesus loved you? And sits down back in her seat, puts her seatbelt out. I look at her in the rearview mirror. She goes, yeah, I said what I said. So I'm driving. Stop listening to dad preach. So I shut my mouth, drove peaceful. I looked at Kate, like, do something about your daughter. And Kate looked at me and goes, you know she's right. I was like, shut But I did, changed my attitude, put on some Christian music, you know. <sighs> Glory is your name, Jesus. Look, I'm telling you, there's, I could give you a list of things. I could give you a list of things I do. Not because I agree with them. Not because I'm all jolly and everything's good with me and Jesus and everything he teaches. I, he teaches some things I'm like, that's impossible to do. I can't do that. I can't afford to do that. I don't have time to do that. Jesus, I don't have any more to give. But I do it anyway. Do you know why? It's because the king has asked me to do it. And if I call myself a Christian, if I call myself a citizen of his kingdom... I do it anyway. Not because it's what I think is good. Not because it's what Michael agrees with or it's what Michael believes. It's because it's what the king says I should do. So I gave you mine in your head. Tell me yours. What are yours? What have you laid down for the king that you want to pick up? Because let's be real honest, okay? I'm going to get really blunt with you, okay? How many of us of Christians or how many Christians do you know have followed the king to the point where it's just everything that they agree with, everything that's comfortable with them, everything that they align with, and then they got to that point of that one thing, and they went, not giving that up, not laying that down. I know you want me to be generous and give, Lord. I'll give in a different way. I'll give my time. That's about equal to my generosity, right? I'll do this, Lord, I'll do this, I'll lay this down. But oh, when it comes to this thing, I don't want to lay that down, God. Because I, 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 don't, I don't believe that. Uh, you know, there's some things that, uh, that, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for my, with my sexuality. That doesn't work with my marriage. That doesn't work with how I like to spend my time. And, you know, there's a lot of people who do that. And there's a lot of people who are worse than me. Uh, that, that, you know, so I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I think I'm good right to here. And here's the thing, and I just got, I'm fully transparent with you, fully honest with you, so that when you go meet God, God can play this recording back to you and say, he told you what you needed to hear, you just ignored it. There will be one day where we go and we meet the king of kings, and we will think that we are walking into the gates of his kingdom, and Jesus will go, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know you. What do you mean you don't know me? I went to church every Sunday. I was on that serve schedule once every three weeks. 
I helped out with affordable Christmas shop. What do you mean you don't know me? I don't know you. I, your, your, your Facebook profile says Christian. And you did a good job tweeting some verses and putting them in your Instagram stories. Really appreciate that. Love your tattoo. I don't know you. What do you mean you don't know me? Because we came to this point where you only believed in me or followed me to the point where we got to that thing that you didn't agree with. And then that was the point where you left my throne and you put yours on and you sat at your throne and you say, I'm in charge of my life. I do me. I'm the king of this kingdom. And you, you reduced me down to a conscience cleaner, a backup plan, a phone the friend, and you only needed me when something was going down. But the minute you got what you wanted, you were out. And I didn't hear from you again. And you didn't make me your king. You, you made me your influencer. You made me, you made me something you believed in. You, you, me and Santa were like neck and neck. And that's not who I am. I'm a king. And I wanted to be your king. And I wanted you to participate in my kingdom. And I wanted to give you so much. But because you opted out, you missed out. I've said this a lot of times this year, we've, we have focused on this idea this entire year and tried to weave this through our teachings and our culture. But we have to understand this, is that Jesus, Jesus is not our friend, our savior, our forgiver, but he is our king. And for many of us, when Jesus is your friend, your savior, your forgiver, but you don't choose him as your king, you miss out. And I don't want you to miss out. Because let me tell you what happened to Herod real quick, just to tell you the end of the story. You should go read it for yourself this week. Go read the Bible. Go read the story of what happened to Herod. Herod was so threatened by the kingdom of God that he tried to kill Jesus. He was so threatened that he tried to kill Jesus. And you and I, I mean, we can't kill Jesus. We know that. That didn't work once. It's probably not going to work again. And some of us say, I would never kill Jesus, but we are so threatened by Jesus that we try to lock him out of our lives. And that's what Herod tried to do. And do you know what happened to Herod next? Nobody knows. You know why? Because this was not Herod's story. This was Jesus' story. Because Herod, as much as he did, was never important enough to write a historical document about. He was just a footnote in the story of the story of the king. So for you, what do you want this Christmas season? This can be just another day. This can just be another Christmas. And the day after Christmas, you could go back to your normally scheduled program, your normal lives, and do what you do. And no one will know the wiser, and you'll be a good person in most people's eyes. But there will be a day where you come face to face with the king. But let me tell you something. For those of you who wrestle with this, for those of you who are on the fence, for every person who has chosen to submit themselves to the king, for every person who has chosen to participate in the kingdom of God, it has made their life better and made them better at life. I could get up here and tell you so many things about ministry that frustrate me. So many things about ministry that wear me out, that just deplete me. 
And I go, God, why in the world am I doing this? I don't understand it. I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm purely doing what I do because it's what the king wants. And sometimes, kid you not, I think of the alternative. Sometimes I think about getting out. Sometimes, even in the last couple of years, it's really driven me nuts. Because I think about getting out. I go, you know what? I don't have to retire when I'm 60. People in the military, they retire in like a couple years. Let's retire now. Like 35 is a good run. We did 15 years. Let's, let's, lay, it, let's lay it down. Let's, let's call it good and, and, and be done. And I think of the alternative a lot. And the only thing that keeps me going, it's not you, it's not this church, it's not this place, it's not pastor appreciation, it's not my family. It's purely because it's what the king has asked me to do. And that, although it can be an exhausting place and a tiring place, it is the most fulfilling place I have ever been in my life. And it has made me better at life and it has made my life better. And I hope and pray to God that all of you experience that in your life too. I'm going to pray for us. And I preached way too long. And so we're not going to do a closing song or anything like that. Because I know you guys have things you need to do. But I want to share my heart with you. And I want you to understand this for yourself. So let me pray for you this morning. And I'll let you guys go. Father God. Father God, we come to you this morning and we have heard the story maybe in a different way than we've heard it before. A lot of the same details, but to understand who it is you are, to understand what your name truly means brings a different light, brings me to a different place. To understand that that name, Jesus Christ, it means Jesus, the King. Father God, I have not always thought of you that way, and I probably have not always submitted to you in that way. And I've probably missed out. I've probably opted out, sometimes willingly, sometimes not even realizing. But God, today, I want to participate in your kingdom. I need to make that decision every single day to make you my king, to submit to you, to participate in your kingdom, to not be a Christian in the cultural definition, in the cultural sense, in the the term that people accept today, but in the original sense. Would you help me to submit to your kingdom, to lay my life down, to lay these things down to you, not because I agree with them, not because I, they match up with my beliefs or what I think, but because it's just purely what you've asked me to do because you are the king of my life. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your words. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I am so glad that you chose to be here today, and I want to invite you back next week for part two of this series, The Day After Christmas. Will you guys stand up, turn to somebody next to you, and say, hey, Merry Christmas to you this morning.